Jesus said, other sheep I have that are not of this fold. I'm going to call them. They're going to come. There's going to be one fold and one shepherd. So the fourth angel, Revelation 18, proclaims Babylon is fallen, is fallen with a loud voice, and it swells into the third angel's message. And those two are connected with the latter rain, special outpouring of the Holy Spirit. So the third angel's message is going to be given with power, but that's still in the future. It's with the outpouring of the latter rain, a special proclaiming. It's an important message. The world needs to hear, Babylon is fallen, is fallen, come out of her, my people. And it will be proclaimed with a loud voice. So that's how Revelation 18 fits in with the three angels' messages. First angel's message, the early Advent movement. The third angel's message about the beast and his mark, still in the future. We're living under the second angel today. Babylon is fallen, is fallen, but not with a loud voice. But when the latter rain comes and the third angel's message begins to be proclaimed, then you have the fourth angel that joins in. And he cries with a loud voice, Babylon is fallen, is fallen. And after the message is given by the church, then Jesus is able to call his people to come out from Babylon. Other sheep I have that are not of this fold. So Jesus has people in Babylon, but at the right time, he's going to call them to come out of Babylon. He knows where they are, and to some degree, God might feel it's better for them to stay there where they are right now <laughs> until things get sorted out here in the church. But at the right time, he's going to call his people to come out, right? Unfortunately, at that same time, there will be those who are in the church that because of persecution will leave, but at the same time, there will be those who are outside the church that will flood in. And finally, then, God will make up his people at the end. And then the seal of God is placed upon the foreheads of those who are his. Then probation closes, seven last plagues, and Jesus comes. It's kind of the sequence of how things unfold as we go from here. Okay, still talking about the power of the gospel, right? What kind of power is involved in the gospel? God's creative power, right? Because the Savior is also the creator. How are we or how can we tap into God's creative power working in our lives? Well, the answer is faith. Look at this verse again, Hebrews 11, verse 6. But without faith... It is impossible to please Him. How do we please God? By doing the things that He wants us to do. Right? Spending time with Him. Is that all He wants? How did Jesus please the Father? Jesus said, the Father loves me because I always do what He says. Why did Jesus always do what the Father said? Because Jesus loved Him. Why do we please God and do what He says? Because we love Him. You understand the motivation? If we don't love Him, we might try and do what He wants us to do, but the motivation is wrong. And our righteousness is as filthy rags. It doesn't mean anything. So, it's by faith that we do the things that pleases Him. It's by faith that we come to love Him, that we have the right motivation. Then it says, For he who comes to God must believe that He is. What does it mean when it says we must believe that God is? Is it simply talking about believing that God exists? Does James tell us that the devils believe? Does that help them? No. Says so a tremble. So it's not just believing that God exists, but rather it is believing that God is who He said He is. God is who He said He is. And according to the Bible, God is love. 
Oh, friends, you've got to tell your Bible study context this. Because so many people out there in the world think that God, and even we sometimes, think that God is upstairs with his arms folded, he's looking down, and we say, Lord, Lord, please help me. And he's going, oh, I don't know. You've got to try a little bit harder. Maybe next time. But according to the Bible, God wants to save, right? God isn't standing up in heaven with his arms folded. He's leaning down with his arms outstretched saying, just turn to me. I am the creator. All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Just turn to me. Allow me to come into your heart. I want to do a mighty work within you. I can save to the uttermost. Take a look at my resume. Look who I've saved. All right. Look at the list of names. It's not a big deal to me. I can do this, but you have to turn to me. You must believe that I am. Believe that I'm a God of love. Believe that when you pray, I hear your prayers. That I take your prayers seriously. I don't ignore your prayers. And I have the power to do something about your prayers. That's so important. That changes everything. God is on our side trying to save us. It's not that we're against God and God is not trying to save us. God wants to save us, right? That's what Paul is saying. If you want to please God, believe that God loves you and that He's doing everything He can to save you. Believe that when you pray, He hears your prayer. And He will act because He loves you. Not because who we are, how good we are. We must believe that God is, and don't miss this part, He is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. We've got to believe that when we lead somebody in that gospel presentation, and we help them realize that they are a sinner, and that Jesus is the Savior, and if they come to Him by faith and say, Lord, I open my heart's door, please come in. You need to believe that He will come in. Encourage them to believe it. Talk faith. Say, praise the Lord. You've opened your heart to Jesus. He has just come in. Well, I don't feel any different. So, well, don't worry about feeling. It's not about feeling. It's about faith. Feeling will come later on. Don't worry about that. Claim God's promise, right? We live by faith, not by feeling. I encourage our people to realize this. All right. Well, that brings to the next point. Faith versus feeling. Romans chapter 1, verse 17 for in it, that is the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. Now, what is it to have faith? It's believing that God is, that He's a God of love, and that He hears our prayers. That's where it begins. That's what faith is. It's simple. You don't have to have some complicated formula to figure out what faith is. Faith is believing that God loves you and that God hears you. And that God is working for your salvation. You can leave it right there. So when you pray, He hears you. When you ask, He helps you because He loves you. That's faith. Pretty simple. And then, of course, steps to Christ. Uh, the just do not live by their feelings. They do not live by their emotions. They do not live by what they can see. The just live by faith. We are pointedly reminded do not wait to feel that you are made whole, but say, I believe it, it is so, not because I feel it, but because God has promised it. Right from the get-go, if you're doing a gospel presentation, understand where the people are going to go. Understand what the devil is going to do. The devil is going to try and make them feel as though God did not hear their prayer. You warn them up front, don't go by your feelings. The devil is going to try and test your faith. He's going to try and make you feel as though you're not worthy or that God has not forgiven you. Just ignore those thoughts and replace them with, God loves me. Jesus died for me. I prayed. 
and I ask God to come into my heart so I'll believe that He is. Just that simple, okay? All right, talking about faith. The knowledge of what the scripture means when urging upon us the necessity of cultivating or practicing faith is more essential than any other knowledge that can be acquired. And that's what we're talking about today. All right, knowing the Sabbath truth will not save you. Knowing the truth of the state of the dead will not save you. It might protect you from error, but that's not what saves you. What saves you is Jesus. It's the gospel. It's Christ. Receiving Him as your Savior. That's why she says it is the most essential knowledge that anyone can have. What does it mean to cultivate faith? We're going to be looking at an Old or New Testament story. Matthew chapter 8, which I think beautifully illustrates what faith is. You're familiar with the story. It says, now when Jesus had entered into Capernaum, a centurion came to him pleading with him. Centurion was the headquarters of Christ's Galilean ministry. It's up on the northern side of the Sea of Galilee. It's also the home where Peter was. He lived or came from Capernaum. And um, Jesus enters into the city and there is a centurion that comes to him. Now, is the centurion Jewish? No, he's not. He's Roman, right? He's there. He's part of the occupying force. He's got soldiers under him, but he heard about Jesus. He was actually, prior to this, impressed with some of the teachings of the Jews with reference to one God and obedience and God's law and those type of things. Made an impression. He heard about Jesus. And he realized there's something special about Jesus. So the centurion came to him pleading with him, saying, Lord, my servant, lying at home paralyzed, dreadfully tormented, Jesus said to him, I will come and heal him. Now, of course, if that was you and I, and Jesus said, all right, I'll come help you, we'd be, great, come on, Lord, come, hurry, hurry. He's almost dead, you've got to hurry. Kind of like Mary and Martha that sent a message to Jesus, come, Lord, Lazarus is sick, but notice what the centurion does. The centurion answered and said, Lord, I am not worthy that you should come under my roof. Notice, the centurion does not look to his righteousness or his goodness to earn anything from Christ. He says, Lord, I'm not worthy. I'm not even worthy for you to come visit my home. He says, but only speak a word. That's the key. And my servant will be healed. For I am a man under authority, having soldiers under me. And I say to this one, go, and he goes. And to another one, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does this. Verse 10. When Jesus heard it, he marveled, and he said to those who followed, Assuredly, I say unto you, I have not found so great a faith, no, not in Israel. You can imagine the scene. Uh, the centurion, whenever he goes somewhere, there's quite a following of people with him. And as Jesus is speaking and the centurion comes up to him, all the people, they stop what they're doing and they're looking and they want to see what's going to happen. Here's this Roman centurion powerful man coming to Jesus. Is he going to attack Jesus or arrest Jesus? What's going to happen? He comes to Jesus and he bows before Jesus and says, please come help my servant. Jesus says, okay, I'll go. He says, no, Lord, I'm not worthy. Just speak the word. And after he says that, Jesus is overwhelmed almost. And he turns and he looks to the Jews and he stretches out his hand and he says, I tell you the truth, I have not seen this kind of faith. No, not in Israel. It's interesting, there are several occasions when Jesus was amazed or astonished by somebody's faith, and they were non-Jews. <laughs> this is one of them. Also, when Jesus went up to the Syrophoenician woman and, and her daughter was demon-possessed, right? And she begged Jesus to do something, and Jesus first ignored her, and then finally he said, great is your faith. 
let it be done unto you. So anyway, Jesus marvels. Now, there are a few things that happen in the story that I think is important for us to note. First of all, number one, the centurion wanted a certain thing done. And he wanted Jesus to do it. So he said, Lord, please come. When Jesus said, I will come and do this, the centurion said, speak the word only and it shall be. Where did the centurion place his confidence? In the authority of the word of Christ, right? Where do we place our authority? In the word of God. If God says it, that's good enough for me. Just speak the word, Lord, that's all I need. I don't need to feel anything. I don't need to experience a change of circumstances. I just simply need to hear the voice. I need to hear your word and that's it. There is a peace that comes. He's heard me. That's all that's important. As long as he hears me, that's all I need. And that's what's serious. Just, just speak the word, Lord. That's fine. Let me just hear it and then I'm done. That's all I need. Our words can actually create different neuron pathways in the mind of the one that's hearing us and in the mind of the one that's speaking. So words are powerful. So he recognized this. The centurion recognized this. Now put this in the context of the gospel presentation. I sometimes will even take people to the story. And I say, do you want God to do something for you? I say, yeah. You want Jesus to do something? Yes. What do you want him to do? I want him to forgive me. I want him to heal me, spiritually speaking. I want him to change me. And I say, do you believe his word? I go to the verse and I read, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. This is the words of Jesus. This is as Jesus said it to you. So would it make a difference if Jesus was here in person and he said it? And I said, well, it kind of be neat. I said, well, he doesn't have to be here in person. He said it. Here it is. You believe that? You claim that? Strengthen their faith. The centurion depended upon the creative power of the word of God, as you said, to heal his servant. What then is faith? Here's a simple definition. Faith is trusting that the Word of God has creative power to accomplish whatever God says. So what do we need as a Christian? We just need the Word. That's what the centurion wanted. Lord, just give me the Word. That's why as Adventists we emphasize the Word. And we say the Word is so powerful, it's so important because this is the voice of Jesus. This is the voice of God to your soul. That's all you need. You don't need some external evidence. There are other churches that set aside the Word of God and they have to have some kind of an experience or a miraculous type of occurrence to give them faith. You've got to perform a miracle or be slain in the Spirit or speak in tongues to prove that you have the Holy Spirit. We don't need any of that stuff. We've got the Word and that's all that matters, right? All we need is the Word of God. That's the power of God. We can see this illustrating the miracle that Jesus performed. You know the story. Jesus and the disciples on the Sea of Galilee. It is a terrible storm. Jesus is asleep in the back of the boat. He's been preaching, teaching all day. The storm comes up. The disciples are fearing for their life. The waves are crashing in on the boat. And uh, finally somebody realizes, hey, wait a minute, Jesus is here. Maybe Jesus can help us. And Peter says, Lord, Lord, don't you care that we perish? And he wakes Jesus up. Of course, does Jesus care? Absolutely. That's why he came to the earth. And so what does Jesus do? He gets up and he says to the wind and the waves, peace be still. And immediately there is a great calm that comes on the sea. Now let's just imagine that story a little differently. They're in this boat and the waves are crashing in, the wind's blowing, and Peter looks over and Jesus is sleeping and Peter says, I don't want to wake him up. It looks like he needs the rest, but I think I know what he would do. And so Peter stands there and he holds on the side of the boat. 
And he cries as loud as he can, Peace, be still! <laughs> what would happen? The wind would probably look to the waves and say, Look who's talking to us. <laughs> it's Peter. Peter thinks he can tell us what to do. We don't have to listen to Peter. But when Jesus got up in the boat, and Jesus said to the wind and the waves, Be still. Suddenly the wind turned to the waves and said, look who's talking now. This is the creator. We best do what he says. Of course, the wind and the waves didn't talk, but you get the idea, right? There is something very different from my words and the words of Jesus. The words of Jesus have creative power. My words are just my thoughts expressed. So if I say, I want my Bible to go from there to there, I can say it, but nothing happens. I have to make it happen, right? But in the case of Jesus, if he wants this to go from here to there, he doesn't have to do anything but simply speak the word. Because his word has creative power to do whatever he says. And if we, by faith, can grab a hold of the word of Jesus, Jesus says, it's as good as if you have it. Now, you might not have it immediately, but it's as good as if you have it. You've been approved for the mortgage. The money is going to be deposited in your bank. It might not be there right now, but it's a guarantee that you're going to get it, right? You grab that promise of Jesus. You might not have it right now, but at the right time, you'll realize it. It'll be fulfilled. That's faith. Feeling is grabbing the promise and saying, all right, Lord, you promised it. Where's the evidence? Let me see it. Let me see it. Oh, maybe you didn't do it. Faith is grabbing the promise and saying, all right, Lord, you promised it. You will make it a reality in your time when it's best. And then I patiently wait for God to fulfill his will for my life. And I trust in him. I trust in him. I might not feel anything at the moment, but I still take his word and claim it as a promise. So very important. Okay, so the answer now, how this works, the question is, how does the Word of God have power to accomplish whatever God says? The answer, of course, is in Genesis chapter 1. Jesus is the Creator. We also know that God created all things through Christ. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the earth was without form and void, darkness on the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Then God said, let there be light. The Word, therefore, the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. It comes from a Greek word that carries the idea of pent-up energy. It's as if I have a spring and I'm pressing the spring down between my hands. All this pent-up energy is there. What is the spring waiting for? It's waiting for me to move my hand and suddenly it just springs up. And so at the creation of the earth, the Holy Spirit is hovering over the face of the waters. It's all pent-up energy. And what is the Holy Spirit waiting for? He's waiting to hear the Word of Jesus. And the minute Jesus says, let there be light, boom, the Holy Spirit made it so. You see, whatever God says, the Spirit always does. There is no exception. There is never a case where God says something and the Holy Spirit goes, I don't know, Lord, that's kind of hard to do. You know, raising Lazarus from the dead, that's not easy. Of course not. There's nothing impossible for God. So when Jesus said, Lazarus, come forth, the Spirit made it so. Lazarus was resurrected. So, here's the point. God spake, there was darkness, but at the moment he said, let there be light, there was light. 
Where did the light come from? The Spirit produced it. The power of the Word of God is the Spirit of God. Whatever God says, the Spirit always does. There is no exception to the rule. Psalms, by the Word of the Lord, the heavens were made. He spoke and it was done. Next question, is it possible for God to lie? Well, no. The Bible tells us God is not a man that he should lie, nor the Son of Man that he should repent. Has he said and will he not do? Or has he spoken and will he make it good? Now, it's true. God does not lie because he tells the truth. But on the other hand... It is impossible for God to lie because if He says something, whatever He says, it occurs. So if I hold this little clicker up in front of you and I say, this clicker is orange. You're going to say, no, no, it's not orange, it's black. I can see it's pretty clear. I say, no, I'm insisting, it's orange, it's orange. Finally, you're going to say, he must be colorblind, right? Or he's just telling a lie. That's because I can say something, but my words don't have power to change anything. But if God were to call this clicker that was black, if he called it white, guess what would happen? Immediately it would turn white. Now this is so important to share with your friends when you're giving the gospel presentation. Look at this verse. Having faith is expecting the Spirit of God to always do what God says. The cultivating of faith is simply taking God at His word. It is trusting not in your own strength, your abilities, understanding, but trusting completely in the accomplishment of whatever God says. Here's the promise. Jesus says, come now. Let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they will be as wool. So here is our hearts, red like crimson, but God says, no, no, it's not crimson anymore. It's white like snow. And because God says it, we believe it, and the Holy Spirit makes it so. It's that simple. So when you're talking to your Bible study contact about God's forgiveness and grace, they might say, well, I'm a great sinner. You don't know what I've done. You can say, well, it doesn't matter what you've done. This is what God has said. Though your sins be dark, He can make you as white as snow. Do you believe the promise? Do you just claim the promise by faith? If you believe it, the Holy Spirit will make it so. God says, I will give you a new heart. I will put a new spirit within you. I will take out your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. Who's the one doing the work? God is the one, right? Because He's the only one that has creative power. Ellen White says you cannot change your heart. You cannot of yourself give to God its affections, but you can choose Him. You can open the heart's door. He will then work within you, both to will and to do, according to His good pleasure. Is that good news? Amen. Do we need victory over the carnal nature? Absolutely. How do we obtain the victory? By faith. By faith, not by feeling. I don't have time to talk about this, but uh, it is through the study of the Word that we strengthen our spiritual nature. And we need to remind our Bible study context this when you're working with them. Don't set them up for failure. When they receive Jesus, their personal Savior, explain to them, saying, you know, you'll probably notice you still have a carnal nature. But you also now have a spiritual nature. You might not even feel it, but if you believe the Word, you have a spiritual nature. Our work is to starve the carnal nature by feeding the spiritual nature. And the way we feed the spiritual nature is with the Word. Here we read it in Steps to Christ. There is nothing more calculated to strengthen the intellect like the study of the Scriptures. We heard about that last night by Pastor Doug, the importance of studying the Word. It does something for us. We might not even feel it working, but it's working, right? 
There's power in the Word because it's the creative Word of God. God is doing something. And if we would faithfully feed our spiritual nature, our carnal nature, we get starved out. But if we're feeding our carnal nature all week, and we're throwing a few scraps Sabbath morning to the spiritual nature, which nature do you think is going to be dominant? Which one is going to overcome? The carnal instead of the spiritual. Help your people understand this. Put your Bible study in the context of faith. Try and get them to direct their attention away from themselves, away from their feelings. People are so guided by feelings. Get them away from their feelings and have them take a hold of the promises of God. That is their security. That's going to be their strength. Such a beautiful message that God has given us to share with the world. Amen? Dear Father in heaven, we are indeed so grateful for the gospel, so grateful for Jesus and the work that he's doing. Father, we are grateful for your word. We understand the power of your word today. That creative power we want to have work in our hearts and lives in a mighty way. Continue to be with us through camp meeting and through our classes here. We just pray, Father, you'd set up those divine appointments so we get to share these things with others. In Jesus' name, amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse a website dedicated to spreading God's Word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.